All right, well, welcome everyone to the Truth and Democracy Coalition monthly meeting. My name is Rich Proceda. I'm the founder of the Truth and Democracy Coalition and the host of the Truth and Democracy podcast. Today, we have Dr. Susan Neiman with us who will talk about the difference about being woke versus being left. But first, uh, before we start, I want to tell you a little about the Truth and Democracy Coalition and about our upcoming events. So the Truth and Democracy Coalition was formed to build a pro-democracy movement in America. We educate the public about disinformation, teach people to be critical of the propaganda they consume, and provide critical analysis of current events and social issues. We produce media and educational materials, hold seminars and meetings, work with other organizations, and organize events and activity geared toward building a pro-democracy movement in America. The coalition seeks to build communities of people of different faiths and ideologies to defend and promote democracy locally, nationally, and globally. Now, on June 11th at 2 p.m., Rich Proceda, that's me, an early pro-feminist activist, the author of Social Issues in Global Perspective Pornography, and the leader of the Truth and Democracy Coalition, will lead a discussion about what's wrong with men. A survivor of severe sexual abuse, he will tell his story, address the problems facing men today, and talk about what needs to happen to move men back from the brink and back to sanity. So to register for that, go to tinyurl.com slash wrongwithmen. And I'm going to put these in the chat for you as well. Then on June 4th, we will start our monthly Red Pill Men's Group. Uh, men are dying. They're killing themselves with drugs and alcohol, committing suicide at far higher rates than women. They also make up the perpetual perpetrators of violence, mass shooters are mostly men, and they're turning to authoritarianism, and, and they make up a large portion of far-right extremists and mega-activists. So men have become public enemy number one, pining for a past when they had more authority. They're turning to drugs, alcohol, suicide, and authoritarianism. So to register for that, this nonpartisan men's support group, Go to tinyurl.com slash redpillmen. Then on July 16th at 2 p.m., we will have the first, our first January 6th Remembrance Event Planning Committee meeting. We're planning our annual event to remember the attempted coup and insurrection against the United States Congress. It is important to remember what happened and not let the horrendous actions of then-President Donald Trump and his extremist followers to attempt to overthrow our government and install Trump as dictator for life. In order to resist authoritarianism in America, we need to keep the events of January 6, 2021 at the forefront of people's mind as we head into the 2024 elections with Donald Trump still the front runner for the Republican nomination. So we're going to be organizing this event in Whittier and we're going to help other people organize events in their hometowns. So join us on July 16th at 2 p.m. by registering at 
tinyurl.com slash Jan 6, that's a 6th TH, 2024. And then finally, make sure to check out our YouTube page and to subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash at, and that's the at symbol, Truth and Democracy Coalition. So now let's turn to our discussion with Dr. Neiman. Dr. Neiman is a Harvard-educated American moral philosopher, cultural commentator, and SAS. Um, she has written extensively on the juncture between enlightenment, moral philosophy, metaphysics, and politics, both, both for scholarly audiences and the general public. She describes herself as a lifelong leftist and socialist and is an unlikely critic of wokeism. She argues that the tenets of the woke have become anti-theoretical to the traditional values of the left. Welcome, Dr. Neiman. I'm glad to be here. But, um... Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that kind of really upset me early on in the anti-racist movement was this teaching that white people, especially white men, because they supposedly didn't have lived experience of oppression, um, something I don't find to be universally true, given that people, all people can be victims of abuse, had nothing to contribute to the movement, that they should just step down or step back from leadership roles, remain silent, go into a room and contemplate their implicit bias and their people's history of oppression. I ended up writing an article um, entitled something like, white progressive men step up, not back. And I felt that this was ridiculous, given that we actually need more progressive and liberal leaders, and that when we're in a movement, that's what we're doing, we're training leaders. We need more people standing up and speaking out against extremism, not, not fewer people. And I also felt that it would be a waste of my time and my life, and it certainly wasn't my plan to remain silent in the face of injustice. It, it actually seemed more like a power grab to me. Um, it, they woke over black African-Americans, black people. They wanted to take all the speaking opportunities. They wanted to be center stage and they wanted to make every issue about race. And I heard this, it's all about race was the refrain that was bandied about. And so how does this tribalism and the idea that only a people of color should be allowed to speak and become leaders, undermine unity and contradict basic universal principles that undergird liberal and progressive movements. I think we have to be very careful here, okay? Because um, uh, all people of color by no means feel that way. I know you weren't saying that, but what you were saying could suggest that. And... <clears throat> Actually, the most virulent proponents of woke I know happen to be white. The ones who, uh, you know, think of Robin DeAngelo, um, mm -hmm. but I also know many people, um, mostly middle to upper middle class white people, uh, and not just in the United States. It's something that um, is happening at least all over the Western world, um, who are the most insistent on the fact that um you know the, the sorts of things that you're saying um i totally agree with you that we need more not less solidarity and 
as I said in the very beginning, this is what I was taught as a child. Um, you know, not. Uh, I mean, there were plenty of people in Atlanta, Georgia, who who were Jewish, and there had been a, a famous lynching that's now in a play in Broadway. Uh, you know, of a of a Jewish man that everybody in the Atlanta Jewish community remembered. Um, and there was certainly a lot of discrimination. And of course, there were people who said, it's not our fight, let's stay out of it. But I was taught the exact opposite. It is our fight. And, you know, that's something we need to stand together with. And of course, that was certainly the view of people like Robeson or Einstein. They were good friends, by the way. They were both uh, founded a committee to um, uh, combat lynching, among other things. Okay. Um, so that's the tradition that I hold. On the other hand, okay, let's acknowledge that even for those of us who have thought of ourselves as, um, you know, uh, progressive, there have not been enough Black voices. Until very recently, there weren't enough female voices. Believe me, I come from the most um, uh, the profession in, that has the fewest women in it. There are more women in physics and astronomy than there are in philosophy. So, you know, um, looking for voices that have gone unheard because they belong to people who didn't traditionally have power is a good thing to do. Okay, it's an absolutely good thing to do. And there I think we're moving forward, all right? But the kind of, you know, only women should be allowed to, uh, you know, speak on certain questions or only black people should be able to talk about racism. Um, you know, that's uh, that seems to me to be a, a terrible mistake. I, I, I was, Disturbed, you know, if people forget that Black Lives Matter um, was actually the largest universalist social movement in American history, there were some 25 million people on the streets. And let's not forget, this was in the middle of a pandemic uh, when for which there was no vaccine at the time. And more than half of those people were not people of color color. That is, there were white people risking. Uh, you know, this deadly virus to protest the, you know, ungodly murder of uh, George Floyd. There was a moment, and of course, the right immediately said, no, this is identity politics, all lives matter. Um, of course, you know, in a, in a banal sense, that's true. But in fact, more Black people get killed by cops than non-black people. Okay. So, you know, that was a that was a sleight of hand that shouldn't have been allowed. But I got disturbed when some of the leaders of Black Lives Matter said, well, we can have white allies. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, wait, I'm not an ally. Um, an ally is somebody who, you know, whose interests coincide with yours for a while. All right. But they also might not. And then you might split. Uh, the United States and Soviet Union were allies during World War uh, uh, II. But as soon as the Nazis were defeated and uh, the Cold War began, um, you know, they suddenly weren't. So I'm not an ally. I supported Black Lives Matter 
as a matter of principle, not as a matter of interest. And I, I mean, this is also one reason why I'm not a classical Marxist. I think people are moved by ideals and um, moved by uh, questions of justice. And I think appealing to them rather than questions of interest or power is uh, is the way to go. Yeah, I I often say we we don't need to. They always say, oh, they're not voting in their interests, but really they're voting on the social issues. And so are we, really. And so in your book, you write that the contemporary left has abandoned philosophical ideas central to any left-wing standpoint. And these are the co a commitment to universalism over tribalism, a firm distinction between justice and power, and belief in the possibility of progress. You add that many of the theoretical assumptions of wokeism actually come from the far right, from far right thinkers. And you write that these conservative thinkers rejected the idea of universal humanity and the distinction between power and justice and held deep skepticism toward any idea of progress. And what makes them interesting to progressive thinkers today is their shared hostility toward liberalism and their commitment to unmasking liberal hypocrisies. You conclude that the woke themselves have been colonized by a row of ideologies that properly belong to the right, that they have inhaled an ideology completely at odds with their own moral claims. So can you tell us about the reactionary and right-wing ideologies and philosophies or philosophers that have influenced woke thinking? Sure. But let's go back and be clear about what those essential principles are, which I think are essential to both liberals and leftists, okay? Um, universalism rather than tribalism. Conservatives historically always believe that the only people you can genuinely truly connect with uh, are people from your own tribe. And therefore, they're the only people you actually have obligations to, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and that is exactly the opposite of what a liberal left principle was from the beginning of the enlightenment. The idea was, you know, we can connect with the whole world. Maybe not exactly in the same way that we connect with people we grew up with or who grew up in, you know, similar families as we, but that's the principle. We are connected to freedom fighters in South Africa. We are connected to striking miners in Wales. We are connected to anybody who is standing up for justice, okay? Um, and that's a problem with the whole notion of cultural appropriation, but I won't go into that yet. So second principle, um, justice is not the same thing as power. Now, often they come together, okay? Or injustice also comes together with the absence of power. But the principal distinction that, the, the principled idea that there should be one rule of law and one set of rights that applies to everybody, whether they were, uh, you know, Christian or Muslim or Jewish, whether they were princes or paupers. That was a new idea, okay? Um, in the late 17th, but mostly in the 
in the 18th century, okay? And often, and this is particularly clear in, in the work of two philosophers who have had a big influence on post-colonial thinking um, in particular, and woke thinking, um, do not think that there is a genuine distinction between uh, power and justice. Now, they point to lots of historical examples where people made claims about justice that were really power grabs. Um, we've forgotten uh, an awful lot about how awful the Iraq war was um, because what happened later got worse and as far as the White House was concerned. But that was a moment in which you had people claiming they were going to war to establish democracy in Iraq, when really what they wanted was regional influence, um, you know, access to oil and distraction from what at the time was the worst presidency in the history of the United States. OK, and pointing to that and saying, look, you see, they talk all these fine words about democracy and freedom from tyranny, but actually that's not what was motivating them. That's true. And there are a lot of historical examples of that being true. And it's a complaint, by the way, that goes all the way back to fifth century Athens. Okay. You can point, you know, anybody can point to those examples, but being left and liberal means trying as hard as you can to make a distinction between questions of justice and questions of power. And the third thing that I think the woke have abandoned, although they didn't mean to, because of course there's a way in which, um, of course they consider themselves to be acting, uh, you know, or demanding progress. But in fact, they're fueled by thinkers, again, like Michel Foucault, very sophisticated philosopher, who tried to show that every apparent step forward, every apparent attempt at progress is just a more subtle form of oppression and control. And that's a trope that you hear all the time from the woke. The thing about progress is, if you don't believe that some of it was made in the past, it's going to be hard for you to make it in the future. So if somebody says, you know, um, you know, racism never ended, we've made no progress at all on that score. I think that's an insult to the people who gave their lives to, you know, end slavery, end segregation. Um, have we gotten rid of racism? Not at all. We also haven't gotten rid of sexism. Um, you know, it's, it's still all over the place in various ways. But to say we're still, you know, we're, we're still all subject to the patriarchy when, you know, my daughters have uh, opportunities that were barely imaginable to me. Um, when I was a girl, um, is, you know, first of all, it's an insult to the people who, who worked very hard, um, you know, to move us forward. But it also tends to make people feel very discouraged, if not positively cynical, about making more progress. Okay, so well, let's take this a little further. Uh, you write that for these conservative thinkers, talk of justice is just a smokescreen 
to legitimate a power grab. That talk of justice is nothing but self-serve a self-serving strategy to conceal raw power struggles. You point point to Foucault. I think I'm probably saying that wrong. Foucault. 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 Yes. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Who insisted that the idea of justice itself was invented as a weapon against certain forms of political and economic power. You then point out that this insistence that power is the only driving force leads to an attack on reason as merely an instrument and expression of power. You say that without universalism, there is no argument against racism, merely a bunch of tribes jockeying for power, that without a commitment to justice, we cannot strive for progress. You add that the most woke that most woke activists reject universalism and stand by discourses of power. Now, if this is true, that anti-racist and woke activists reject universalism and accept conservative narratives of power, am I not right to view anti-racism as woke and wokeness as mere power grabs? If this is what anti-racist and woke activists believe, wouldn't I be right to conclude that anti-racism and wokeism is not about justice, not about progress, but merely about power? And if so, shouldn't I, as a liberal progressive, resist them as threats to social justice and progress? Look, we have to get clear about, you know, who the they is. And I, I, again, I think we have to be really careful here. I, you know, um, it's quite interesting. The word woke um, was not used at all in the 2016 election. We all know it's going to be the main word in the 2024 election. I actually believe that the woke movement, which began really out of a deep commitment to social justice, so I don't view the woke as my enemies. I really don't. In fact, um, I'm pretty sure that all three of my children um, consider myself consider themselves woke, and we disagree about certain things. You know, they're my kids, so they're not my enemies. Okay, I, uh, you know, and plenty of other people I I know. Um, I, again, view most of the woke as people with good intentions who don't realize that they're actually being influenced by assumptions that come from very bad theories, okay? Um, I actually think, I, I, I've been doing a little thought experiment for myself um, for a while, and uh, just the last couple of weeks, I'm thinking, we remember, you know, the, those of us, uh, you know, who are old enough to remember these things, um, we certainly remember the sense of excitement and um, joy that President Obama's election brought. We remember thinking, I mean, I'm assuming I'm speaking to progressive audience that, you know, Maybe he should have paid a bit more attention, as he put it, to Main Street than to Wall Street during the financial crisis. We remember uh, Occupy Wall Street, which also felt like, and by the way, that turned into a global movement um, that people began talking about global inequality, uh, global economic equality was a good thing. So let's do a thought experiment. Let's imagine, because it was actually possible, that President Obama's 
uh, term had been followed by Bernie Sanders. It would have looked like the arc of justice was, you know, the, the arc of history was bending towards justice. That is, we had a liberal black intellectual um, followed by, uh, and I'm not the biggest fan of Bernie Sanders as a human being, but followed by um, an old Jew who was uh, committed to social democracy. By the way, Bernie's not, doesn't even know what, how much social democracy we have in Europe. I mean, he just, you know, the things that he's committed to are, are so basic that, um, you know, it would never be as accepted as, as just in Europe, but, you know, we would have a sense of moving forward that we would be, America would be, have been on the way to correcting things that were left undone for various reasons in the Obama administration. And then you would have people thinking, you know, we're moving in the right direction. It's slow, but we're moving now. Um, let's, what happened instead um, was, we all know what happened instead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody who grew up with the Obama family in the White House, who didn't remember how, you know, in, incredibly improbable this was, um, has that as a base of normalcy, okay? And then suddenly they get hit with this tremendous backlash. And I view the woke movement as born from despair at that backlash because nobody, people weren't, I mean, the term woke was first used by the, the great blues singer Lead Belly in a song called the Scottsboro Boys. So it had a, you know, a proud tradition um, in the Black South, but it was not a, you know, it's not a general term that everybody was banding around until about 2017 and a half. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, so you have a bunch of people who are in fact in despair about real systemic progress. And I think that's one of the reasons why people focus so much on language. You, you know, you, you can at least change your language, but you can't change too much else. So, you know, I'm, I, I would be wary. In fact, I, you know, I have to say that um, I have some friends who, when I was about to publish this book said, you know, for heaven's sake, Susan, don't use the word woke. Well, I agree with your arguments, basically. But, um, you know, if you use the word woke, you're only going to be playing into the hands of Ron DeSantis and Richie uh, Rishi Sunak and, you know, real right wing people who are using the term to, um, you know, roll back any kinds of progress that we have made in terms of racial justice, in terms of uh you know, justice for women, um, justice for gay people, um, you know, and I, I thought about it for a while and I thought, no, you know what, we all do know what we're talking about when we say what, but we know something about it. You know, it's difficult to, to define, but we, we know what's meant by that. And I said, look, I'm, you know, I'm going to make it as clear as I can. There are shows I won't appear on. I won't, uh, you know, not just, uh, and my publisher said, yeah, I know, uh, 
we knew not to pitch you to Fox. And I said, it's not just Fox. I don't want to be on Bill Maher, you know, Um, you know, the, the sort of dumping on woke in the way that's become fairly common is something that I'm trying really hard to avoid. I think that most of the time their intentions are, um, on the right side, their hearts are on the right side, their heads are not. And since I'm a philosopher, I'm trying to straighten out the mistakes that get made in people's heads. The world that all of us knew, whether or not it was before 9-11, whether or not it was before Hurricane Katrina, whether or not it was before COVID, before Trump, that world is gone. We are now in a new epoch and a new era in American history we get to decide the path we take forward. If we don't proactively work for the path we want, the bad guys will do it for us. And we know what that looks like. The four years of Donald Trump's presidency teaches us what it looks like. What's going on in too many Southern states teaches us what it looks like. The world as it is and the world as it will be are up to us guys. And we have to do everything we can day in and day out to make sure that we, the people, are in a position to make those decisions.